You know, Jesus, uh, the Bible teaches us the truth that he left his home in heaven. And the Bible says, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, and neither has entered into man's imagination what God has prepared. And Jesus himself said, you know what, this is super nice. I love it here. Everything's cool. Worshiping all the time. It's great. And then his father said, you got to go. And he had to leave there and be born in a manger and live uh, a rough life and live a life of an ordinary person with needs. And dad was a carpenter. And you know the rest of the story about Jesus' life, how he ends up beaten, bloody. And nothing about that sounds like you're going to feel led to do that, does it? I mean, some people say, you know what, I'm going to have a great purpose for God the minute I feel led to do it. Well, that's just not how it works. Because I can't picture Jesus ever feeling led to go to the cross, especially when he's saying, Lord, if there's a way that this cup can pass from me, let it, let it pass from me. He's asking God, like, is there some other way? And I find that Christians answer the question differently than Jesus answered it. When Jesus said, but not what I want, it's so cool, it's so nice, not what I want. But what you want, that's what Jesus said. Many Christians say, not what you want, but what I want. Super nice. I like, Christ, I like being a Christian. I like knowing my eternity squared away. But this whole idea about telling someone else, helping someone else, that part of it, I'm just not in it. I just don't feel led. It's just one of those spiritual cop-outs we have, and we don't feel like reading our Bible, or we don't feel like worshiping. I don't feel like, we don't understand that the most important things in life are things that you don't feel like doing. But you do them because it's the right thing. And when you do the right thing, you feel the right thing. Every person ever hooked on drugs or hooked on whatever, they, they keep saying yes when they should say no because they feel like it. But it's important to develop this skill. If you're going to be strong and free and when you leave this world, if you're going to be who God called you to be, you've got to do what Jesus did in the beginning. i got to go. It's super nice up here. It's super cool up here. I got to get out. Look at somebody say, you got to get out of your comfort zone. If you want to do something no one's ever done before, you'll never do it while you're comfortable. Ordinary, average, ordinary, good people never change the world. But God called you to change the world. Yes, you could probably get by and get through. But that isn't the issue. When, when we enter into eternity, we're going to find out that every moment was an opportunity. That every day was an opportunity to see the glory of God. And how many did we waste? We're only going to take a real account of the day and the time and the energy and the freedom that we have in this country. We'll only take account of that when we find ourselves in eternity. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, let your words saturate our lives and let us change us. Let it change us. Let it transform us in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. Well, I've been talking about the blood of purpose. I love Isaiah 52. I'm going to read it again. Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace and brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. You know, um, a few years ago, Diane and I uh, had been here uh, 20 something years, and, and um, uh, Pastor Evan was here, and so we thought, well, he needs an opportunity. He and Leah need an opportunity to lead, and, 
And I was feeling like I needed to uh, rediscover, you know, church can be one of those deals you just need a rehab sometimes. <laughs> I mean, if you've been around church a long time, you've seen it all, man. And at some point, you need to find that reset button. If you don't find the reset button, you're just like all those other boring Christians that you remember when you were growing up. You know, those, those old gray hair people? I used to think, man, there's no old people in our church until I looked in the mirror. And I realized, no, there are. It's me now. <laughs> but, you know, people that kind of hit the, hit the lowest common denominator of Christianity, they kind of go to church, they try to be a good person, but there's nothing crazy about them. There's nothing world-changing. They kind of found a spot of comfort where they can say, this is Christianity, but, you know, doesn't look at all like Jesus. But they've gotten okay with that. And so I, I didn't want that. I, you know, I've, everybody goes through their own life and have to kind of rehab and detox in their own way. But uh, I felt like I had the opportunity because we had good leaders here, Evan and Leah, who start in New Orleans. And um, I thought, well, you know, let, let me, let's, go, let's plan a church. I was prophesied over a long time ago to start a church in Baton Rouge. So Diane and I, we didn't, uh, we just moved. We had a you know, beautiful house here and we had our children here, grandchildren here. And we thought, you know what? I'm not going to play it safe because i got to get better. You know, sometimes you think you're better, but you're not. Like, you're lying to yourself, and you, and you don't even believe your own self. Come on, somebody. When you say I'm better, you're like, you're better. You're like inside your head going like, no, you ain't. You ain't better. But you want it because you want it to be over so bad, you want to tell yourself it's over. I think it's over. I think it is over. But you're just lying because you know it's not over till it's over in here. It's not over till you reach that high water mark, that place where you used to be, that place where, where, where God's voice was real, where you were passionate and you, where the word of God was glorious. Everything wasn't, you know, just another thing. So I wanted that place back in my life because all of us, you know, at some point have to go through that, you know, you've heard that story where an eagle kind of regenerates himself. Where they, where, you know, it says your youth will be renewed like the eagles. At some point, you have to go through a renewing where you, where like an eagle, you have to renew yourself. And so we went to Baton Rouge, and, and there was nobody. It was Diane and I in an apartment. Diane and I and Maddie in an apartment in Baton Rouge, and, and this was the church. And, of course, we had a couple of people here meeting with us, from here meeting with us. But basically, some people, a few people from Hammond, just us. Paul and Jim were there. And so just us. And so you realize, you know, hey, you got to find out if this stuff is really real. Can the gospel actually change someone's life? Does God really move? If you share the gospel, will it wreck somebody's life and will it, or will it change their life? And so, of course, it was to me one of the greatest moments in my life or those uh, three years I was there is because I found out something really true. Church can be dysfunctional, but the gospel always works. You, sometimes church can, can be, uh, you know, the, the downside of the gospel because there's sometimes politics and stuff, you know, and buildings and whatever. But, but, but when it comes to the gospel where it's just you and someone else, and then you hear the voice of Jesus say something like this, to whom much is given, much is required, has much been given to you. Don't you love to have a Thanksgiving service where you get to say all that God's done for you, and you can start to list all that God's done for you, and you say, man, God has done so much for me. Well, then that means you get to do so much for him. To whom much is given, much is required. God gives you something not to hoard it on yourself, but so that you can be a dispenser of God's glory and his grace. 
And of course, during those times, and it was just joyous for me to really remember that nothing about Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's people who change. It's people who lose touch, who stop doing, you know, in my marriage, the reason I still am very much in love with my wife. I'm not saying that to try to boast about it, but it's really true. I really love her, and she loves me, and it's really a romance that we have. But it's, it's the result of, in those times where it didn't feel right, I just kept saying, I love you, you're awesome. And I was thinking, you're not awesome, and I'm not sure about the whole love thing. But I, I kept saying it, and you know what? Through those times, I got the reward of going higher and higher, glory to glory. Christianity is not about everything going cool and everything being easy and everything going great. It's not like that. There's going to be a moment that you hit a dip and we're going to find out who you are. You're going to find out who you are. Are you a quitter or a crybaby? Are you someone who doesn't believe this? Are you someone who said, I'm in no matter what? Because those moments, that, we, that they define us. And this idea, I told you, when Jesus, when they nailed his feet to the cross, this was the blood of purpose. And why did the blood that was shed from the feet of Jesus, why is it important? Because your life is only significant to the extent you have a purpose. You just go to heaven, man, if you're not going to have a purpose. If you don't, this is a dressing room for eternity. And the only thing that you get to bring with you is the people that you touch. Not the cars, not the houses, not the stuff, not the degree. It, nothing. It means nothing. Money means nothing. The only thing that means anything is the people that you could touch. And God gave you the greatest opportunity by sending Jesus. And Jesus said, I want you to join me in this great purpose. All God's purpose is born of something wonderful called compassion. It means to hurt to action. Compassion means to hurt to the point of doing something about it. That's what moved Jesus out of eternity into to earth to save us. And that's what moves us out of our stupidity and our stupor and our cold-heartedness and moves us into something greater where God can use our lives. Compassion. Is it a feeling? The truth, what I've found about compassion, compassion, some people, oh man, I just feel compassion. I see those kids starving and I just want to give a check. It's true. You see those kids starving and you do feel hurt and you do want to write a check. That's true. But when it comes to things like people around us that we know, if they died right now, they don't have a chance. They don't have a shot in eternity. It is that motion that says it's not about me, but it's about them. The moment your heart turns and says, what about them? You're about to enter into compassion. Compassion cannot be born as long as you walk away and say, I don't care. So what? They got to do their thing. I'm doing my thing. If they go to hell, so what? Like, like Cain, uh, am I my brother's keeper? Do I have any responsibility? A sin of omission Everybody knows what a sin of commission is. It's doing something you shouldn't have done when you knew you shouldn't have done it. You committed it by committing a crime. A sin of omission is not doing something you should have done when you knew you should have done it. There are more sins in eternity of omission than commission. Of Christians that knew they had the opportunity, they had the time, they had the freedom, they had everything they needed. But you know what? They're just a little bored. And they didn't want to step out and experience what it would be to be a real disciple of Jesus. And they, it's because they don't understand. that. See, compassion 
Some people say, well, I've got compassion, then I'll do it. No, you do it, then you get compassion. It's the secret. The secret is, you know what, I'm going to do what Jesus said to do, and when I do it, it's going to be awesome. When I just do it because Jesus said to do it, do you know when, those, when Jesus sent those 70 out, they weren't like, whoop, whoop. They were like, what? He said, don't take any money with you. Don't take any clothes with you. Don't take any stuff. Just go. And then they're like, what are we going to say? He said, when you go, preach, say, in the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I mean, he did a Bible college in 15 minutes. They're like, hey, we're not ready. We're not ready. Now just go. Don't take any money. Don't take any stuff. Just go and see how you do. And you know, that was the great, he was the greatest teacher ever because of that. He found out that learning was not in sitting in a building. Learning was not in a Bible college. Learning was training your heart to care. And when you have a mission, when you, they went out to care, and they suddenly started doing the stuff that Jesus was doing, suddenly it became theirs. And the Bible said that they, the 70 returned rejoicing, and they said, even the demons are subject to us. I mean, they had like a testimony service, and all the 70 Christians were like, this is awesome. We get to do this stuff, and it actually works. Now, for most Christians, they're like, mm, I'm busy, and I got to go eat. But you're missing, like, you can miss something right there in front of you. The greatest opportunity ever is that God said, not only am I saving you out of the junk that you are in, I'm about to bring you into something super awesome. I'm about to bring you into my purpose. I'm about to bring you into my dream. I'm about to bring you into my world. I'm about to bring you into your father's business. All of us are in my father's business. How about you? See, that's really your decision. I never thought it was fair when Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. No fair. You get chosen when you choose. How many are called? Everybody. How many are chosen? The courageous ones who refuse to accept that Christianity is just sitting in a room and hearing about stuff you're not going to do. And they're saying, I ain't doing that. No, man, I'd rather, I'd, I'll, I'll, I'll open a bingo parlor before I'll do that. There's already, we already had churches everywhere like that. We, we're looking, the world is not looking for churches, they're looking for Jesus. A, a Jesus that's enough to get you out of your selfish issues and get you into what counts for eternity. This is not my message, but I'm just going with it. And it's the reason Jesus shed blood because there were, he knew there would be a moment that he'd have to get his blood inside of you. He'd have to get his compassionate nature inside of you. He'd have to put something in you that said, you know what? You don't have to feel like it. Do it. You don't have to feel like you have time. Do it. He knew that something had to be inside of you that was in your nature, not some pressure or some obligation, but something inside of you that burned and said, you know what? I know I could sit here and do whatever I want, but you know what? I'm going to get up and do what Jesus said. He knew he'd need blood for that because our nature is selfish and becomes more and more selfish. I believe Christians today have formed God in their own image. They've made a, they've made a Christianity that fits them just fine instead of a Christianity that makes them uncomfortable. A Christianity that makes them want to change. A Christianity that, wants, that makes them want to be more like Jesus. And they keep forming it to a way that where it's, you know, that they can do nothing and feel awesome about it. With these precious moments that we have. Now, I said last week, I gave you, I'm going to give you the rest of them today. I, I promise I'm going to finish. 
Five undeniable truths about purpose. The first was Jesus lived his entire life in focused, passionate, divine purpose. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Well, then you get to be just like him. Live every day of your life in focused, passionate, divine purpose. Number two, we said every disciple Jesus made, he made in the context of divine purpose purpose. Every disciple that Jesus made, he did not call them to church. He did not call them to religion. He didn't call them to come and worship me. Find it in the Bible. Did Jesus ever call someone, I just want you to come and worship me? Nobody. Zero disciples like that. Well, I just want you to come and get to know me better. Were there zero disciples that Jesus called? See, this is, you're not going to worship him or know him until you get into his purpose. He called them into purpose. They had to surrender. Say, okay, I'm in. And when they said, okay, I'm in, they started learning. Then they really started worshiping. They started knowing who God was. And the message is this. Somehow you're not ever going to know who God is, who Jesus is, until you follow him and into his purpose. And as long as you resist, then you are captured by religion. The Pharisees were a lot more spiritual than most Christians I know. They knew the Bible by heart. They went on mission trips, and they, 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 Jesus said, you guys, he told the Pharisees, you guys go on mission trips, and when you finish with those people, you make them twice the child of, devil that, of the devil that you are. I mean, Pharisees had a zeal for God, but a Pharisee was in the limits of his religious expression. This is what religion is. Come do your thing and go live your own life. Jesus said it was 24-7, mission. Is 24-7 a purpose. See, I am a disciple of Jesus. I'm not a disciple of a religion. I'm a disciple of a person. And I don't have to look to try, try to find what he did. In his life, he did three things. He gave an example of purpose his whole life. Then he taught the doctrine of purpose. He told his disciples to do it. Then he commanded when he left that his disciples should stay in the purpose. How is it that Christians still are like, duh, what am I supposed to do? I'm starting to believe you don't want to know what you're supposed to do. Don't shout me down when I preach you good. I'm starting to feel like you've got an adolescent syndrome. You know what I'm talking about? How when you tell your kids you won't give them $100 when they pass this test, they know the exact time you said it. They know what you were wearing. They know the expression on your face. And they will tell you, you said, you said 100. Try to give them 75. No, 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 no. You said 100. I know you said 100. They, and, and look, they're right because you, you can promise you got to keep it. But wait till you tell them to clean the house. Wait till you tell them you want them to clean the garage while you go to town. Okay, young people. They're like, yes. I want you guys to clean up the garage while I'm gone. They're like, Arr. and you know they didn't listen to you when you told them. You could feel it. They had turned you out. When you said clean, that they just you went to a silent. You were just womp, womp, womp. Your mouth was moving, but you weren't saying anything. And so you felt it. So you said, no, 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 no. Look here. Look me in the eyes, young people. Look me in the eyes. I'm going to go. During the period of time that I go, you are going to get off the video game. 
and you're going to clean out the garage. Any questions? All right, we got it. Oh, no, no. You know they didn't hear you. And so you tell them maybe a third time, come on, y'all, really, I want this. Stuff. So here you go, and in your mind you're dreaming like, I'm coming back. This garage is going to be spotless. You're dreaming of, how many of you dream of a spotless garage? I'm still dreaming after all these years. <laughs> and, and so you drive back up to the house, and the garage is a mess. And you're like, what is going on? And then you call your teenager to the room and say, uh, look, what's up? They're like, wait, you wanted us? To clean the garage? What? What strange new doctrine is this that we are hearing? You didn't say because, you know, I wanted to know the, the Greek, the exact Greek definition of clean. Because in the Greek, it doesn't always mean that you've got to clean. Sometimes it means that you just imagine clean. So it's easy to take everything that Jesus said and get confused. But you're really not confused. Because he was so clear about it. There was only one thing. When Jesus speaks, you either obey or rebel. There is no in-between. Only religious people found the in-between. you got to go to Bible college to find the in-between. To say, well, you know, everybody's got a special situation. Everybody's got an excuse. Are you with me? I'm saying that because... We laugh and we get aggravated our teenager, at our teenagers, but it is exactly the same thing. I find in this life people do what they want to do. If you want to serve God, you will. If you want to go to the Super Bowl, you will. Not as a player, but get a ticket. <laughs> I don't think you're going just because I am going. No, no. I'm not going either. But generally speaking, people do the thing they want to do. Compassion is when you get God's want to inside of you. As you say, you know, there's no option for me. Some people wonder, why are you, all your kids involved in the gospel? Why are they planning churches? Well, because I really believe Christianity is a lot more than a set of beliefs that we talk about on Sunday morning. It's something we live every day of our life. What do you mean? We stay away from sin? No. We get into, well, yes, but we get into the, the, the place where Jesus loved people. And you get to love them, and it ignites something inside of you. Are you with me? I love just Matthew 4, 18. It said, and Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, listen to this, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You get the idea, if you're following Jesus, you're going to be a fisher of men, don't you? Jesus said, oh, here's what... I know, you say, I don't know if I can do it. Jesus said, if you'll follow, I'll make you. But it's the willingness to follow that is the mark of those who follow Jesus. The willingness to say, yes, I didn't want to just know you. I don't want to just worship you. I came to follow you. I want to be like you. I don't want to be an admirer of Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. Wherever you go, I go. If you go to the cross, I go to the cross. If you preach the gospel, I preach the gospel. Number three, we said this last week, I'm going to quickly get to the last point. Christianity without compassion, uh, without compassionate act of purpose is not Christianity at all, it's religion. 
Christianity without compassionate, active purpose is not Christianity at all. It's religion. Now, let me tell you something. Can, I, can we just talk today? Because God loves, look at somebody and say, God loves you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. All right, so don't panic. Some people have a guilt syndrome. Whenever they hear something like this, they start feeling, they think God wants to feel guilty. And, you know, I have a precious wife. She reminds me of the whole church. Come on, stand up and just wave at everybody like Princess uh, Diana. For years, every time I preached something like this, she would be like, I know, I know, I don't read anybody. I know, I know, I don't do anything. She would get like that spiritual, like, beat yourself up syndrome. Anybody ever had that? I don't care. I don't care. That's my problem. I'm just cold-hearted. I'm a mess. So she would just, you know, I, I got to be careful how I talk because I know that a lot of people are like my wife was. I had to convince her she's a soul winner because she is. But I had, it is a value that you need to hold, but you don't need to hold guilt. You don't need to feel guilty. You just need to be you. Be the loving version of you. Make it a point to include people in your life. And my wife, you know, she'd be at McDonald's talking to somebody who hadn't been in church in a while. And she'd be loving on them. And I'd say, see, I told you you're a soul winner. Just because you don't, you know, have, have signs, the picket signs, you know, down in Mardi Gras, you don't, it doesn't mean, doesn't mean you're, you're not a soul winner. It has to do with the condition of the heart. And all of us have an opportunity. We'll talk more about it next week. But don't check out and say, I can't do it. You can do it. If you can bake muffins, you can win souls. If you can't bake muffins, you make people never want to come to church. You just give them bad muffins. It just. <laughs> Whatever it is that you have. That's why, the, see, the church is a team to win the world. You don't just come and watch the pastor. I come and recruit you on the team. And as a great team, we go out and change the world. That's the deal. Are you ready? You ought to give God a shout if you believe it. Now, let me give you these last two, and then we're going to pray. There is a divine source of energy that can only be activated through doing and finishing his purpose. Let's read it. John 4, 32-38. And he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, his disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish. My food is to do. Everybody say, my food is to do. Say it again. My food is to do. If you want to find the people that are the most worn out in Christianity, they're the ones who aren't doing anything. They're just coming to churches like, I can't do it. I've just tried. They just get tired. I mean, life is too tired. Why? Because you're not, if you start doing the thing that God called you to do, you're going to unlock some energy. There is some nourishment in doing the thing that God called you to do. My meat, my nourishment is to do and to finish. There is an energy that comes from doing and finishing. Let's look at what he's talking about. He said, do not say, there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white to harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this, this the saying is true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. What was he talking about? He's in Samaria. 
They're all getting lunch, doing a, having a Christian lunch. You want to have a gathering of Christians? Just have a lunch. They're all showing up. People will eat for Jesus. Come on, somebody. They will. <laughs> you got food? They will eat for Jesus. They're on fire to eat. <laughs> so they were eating. They were eating lunch. And Jesus said, I, I want to stay here. And he had a divine appointment. This woman at the well, he said, uh, she said, he said, get me something to drink. And she's a Samaritan. I mean, she's like uh, the worst kind of what some people might think of, you know, some false religion thing. Like, don't even talk to that lady. Jesus engages with her and says, give me something to drink. And she says, I'm a Samaritan woman. Why would you ask me for something to drink? He said, if you know who was asking you, you'd ask him for water. And this woman, she, so changed by this simple interaction with Jesus, she started going to tell the whole city, come and see a man who told me everything. You know something? You might be the one. You know, it was a, they tell me it was a shoe salesman that was kneeling down in front of a young man named Billy Graham. And while he was selling shoes, he said, if you died right now, do you know what happened for your eternity? And the person said, no. And he said, well, if you receive Jesus in your life, you can know about your eternity. And that young man prayed. We don't even know the name of that crazy shoe salesman, but he won Billy Graham, and Billy Graham changed the whole world. You might think your little somebody at work that you talk to is a nobody or some person that you see at college. What could it matter? Those people are the ones. You might win the person who changed the world. Are y'all still with me? This woman started telling everybody in town and started saying, come and see. And as all the Samaritans are coming out of their room because of her witness, out of their houses toward Jesus, Jesus said, lift up your eyes. The harvest is ready. I'm pro I promise you this. People are never the problem with the gospel. It's always Christians. People are always ready. Oh, they don't want to hear. Yes, they do. They do. You just have to believe in the power of the gospel of Jesus. They want to know. They do. Well, they go to church. They go to the, listen, man, stop disqualifying yourself. Now, listen, what they, Jesus said this, do not say it's four months and then the harvest. He said, you know what people do? They say, I'm going to do it, just not right now. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to do it, but just not right this second. I'm going to win people. I'm going to influence people. I'm going to love people. I'm going to pray for people. But right now is not a good time. Have you ever noticed that right now is never a good time? Now, here's what I'm trying to tell you. You keep asking God more and more of stuff that you need. What about do something for him, and maybe then you'll get what you need? Why not pay attention for a second what he needs, what he wants? The Bible says he would leave the 99 for the one. What about God's dream? See, if you will take care of God's house, he will take care of your house. You take care of God's things, he will take care of your things. It's a great covenant, but it can't always be you asking God for stuff. What about the time where you get to say, tell me what to do? See, there is a secret energy for those who refuse to say, one day I'm going to do it. One day I'm going to step over the line. What about today? I know I'm being straightforward with you, but that's why you came to church. You want to change. 
2010. What about today? What about you start seeing yourself different? You start seeing yourself as a world changer. Strongholds of religious press procrastination restrict the flow of divine purpose. Strongholds of religious procrastination restrict the flow of divine purpose. Now I'm going to finish with this thought. Number five. Divine purpose only makes sense from an eternal perspective. If you're just thinking about here and now, then you're asking God for another car, and some more money, a healing, a refrigerator, a girlfriend. If everything's about here and now. But if you, for one moment, step back and say, in one millisecond, you'll be in eternity. One moment, you're in eternity. And all you're ever going to bring with you is what you did for Jesus. You're not going to stand before Jesus one day and say, Look what a nice house I have. Man, look how much money I have in the bank. Wow, look at my clothes that I was able to buy. Jesus is going to say, nothing. It's nothing. What you had was opportunity. What you had was God's dream inside of you. And all you had to do was try. You don't have to become something. You don't have to compare yourself to somebody else. I love what Jesus did with the, with the rich young ruler. He, the rich young ruler drives up with his whole entourage. And he comes to Jesus and said, I want to have eternal life. And the Bible said that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Maybe you should stop looking across that, that waitress. And maybe you should look at her and love her. If you could look at people with love, suddenly you change the world all around you. I remember I was here at Don's Seafood with a table full of pastors. We were having a pastor's meeting. And a young lady was waiting on the table. And I looked her in the eyes and I said, because I was interacting with all my friends. But I wanted these pastors to see that the gospel always works. And so uh, while everybody was giving their orders, I looked at her. I said, what's your name? I can't remember what it was. But I asked her, what's your name? And she told me her name. I said, did anybody tell you today that God loves you? And she looked down and she said, well, no, not really. I said, well, you know, he really does. That's not a big thing. But she kept coming back to the table and asking me things. And then finally she said, where do you go to church? I said, I'm a pastor. She said, you're a pastor. She said, where? I told her, here. She said, when does it start? I'm coming. She came to church. She was, a un, she was a single mom at the time, unemployed except for this little wait, waitress job she had. She came to church. She gave her life to Christ. Her daughter gave her life to Christ. She went to college, got her degree. She's a, she's a nurse. She's got her own house. She has her own life. It was because somebody stopped and looked at her and just said, you know what? You count. You matter. You matter to God. It's a radical new concept. Christians love people. Jesus said, by this will everyone know that you're my disciples because the way you love 